trade for those African goats? Haven't got the whole 300 cash, but like I got a lot of homemade cheese. Maybe we could work something out. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Rabishaw. And we have, we have a... We have quite an episode to talk about today, <laughs> I, 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 if I do say so myself. Uh, Epi, what episode are we considering this time? Well, we're going to be doing... Uh, oh, we were just complaining about IMDb's interface. Here we go. <laughs> we are doing Season 4, Episode 8, Irving the Explainer. Perhaps one of the most controversial episodes. Yeah, as as we've discovered. Um, mm-hmm. This is quite a a polarizing text. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you chose this episode. I did. I did. So defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so this one came to mind recently uh, because on our Q and A episode, we we were asked a question about the director of this episode, um, James Coburn. So the mm. the actor James Coburn directed this episode. This is the only thing he's ever directed. Uh, and so we talked a little bit in that episode about about that. I guess I'll repeat it here just because we're already talking about it. Yeah. But um, James Coburn, um, Academy Award winning actor, um, he had starred with James Garner in three movies, uh, two two movies before before this in The Great Escape and The Americanization of Emily. And then he was also in the Maverick movie in the 90s. I, I, I posit I wonder if, um, you know, that had something to do with it, that he's, you know, a buddy. Yeah. But also, as we'll get into, this episode, uh, is it a homage? Is it a send-up? Mm-hmm. It, it, it references and incorporates uh, golden age Hollywood film noir tropes. Yeah. Right? Uh, and and so there's some specifically there's at least one casting uh, choice that is a kind of a direct reference to to that stuff as well. I don't think James Coburn necessarily is associated with that era, but I don't know. There's something about like having an actor direct, right? You know, kind of Hollywood insider kind of thing that has a little bit of resonance to me. I don't know if that's that's all just me reading into the things that we know. I, I I haven't dug up anything in particular about it. There's definitely a lot of fun bits about Hollywood in this particular episode. But yeah, so so our Q&A question brought it to mind. And I do hold this episode in particular, uh, I don't know, regard. It sticks in my, it, it sticks with me. Like it stuck with mm-hmm. me ever since I first saw it. It's just a, huh. That is yeah. that is quite quite an episode, hmm. and every so often have kind of thought about proposing it, and then being like, eh, I want to be like ready, like I need to be in the mood to do this yeah. one because <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a departure. Um, and so, since it came to mind recently, uh, I I kind of started girding myself to 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 take it on. And so, when it came came my turn to propose an episode, I was like, you know what, let's do it, mm-hmm. let's go for it. So this is probably a good point for us to do a, I guess, a uncharacteristically non-ironic uh, spoiler alert, right? Like, I, I think mm-hmm. I make fun of spoiler alerts quite often because this is a show that is. We'll get we'll get into how old the show is a little <laughs> bit later in the in the podcast, but mm-hmm. um, there's there's an element of watching it cold mm-hmm. that the way that 
it unfold. Well, yeah, how to how to say it, right? Well, so you said earlier. Oh, go on. Yeah, the I guess yeah. So when we're talking about this in our pre-show discussion about how are we going to talk about this episode, (laughs) I had a thought along the lines of. I've now watched this episode maybe three times, but like I watched it the first time on my original watch through of the series. Yeah. Totally cold. Just oh, time for another Robert Files episode. And that is what stuck with me. And then since I already knew what I was getting myself into watching it for the show, for our show, I'm going into it with a different context and I'm getting something slightly different out of it. Yeah. And it's not that, like, there's a huge twist and you'll be so surprised. Like, that's not really the point. It's not a spoiler in the sense of, like, you sure don't want the ending spoiled for you. It's more a spoiler like, I don't know, you don't want to walk through the haunted house during the day when yes. there's, like, staff people there hanging up the last of the of the lights. And you can see the mechanisms of all the all the monsters you don't want to do that before you go to the haunted house on Halloween, right? Like, yeah. sure, you're walking through the same building, but you want to go through with that first experience where you don't really know exactly what's going to happen next. And that's part of the that's part of the construction of the episode. Does that make sense? Yeah, like it's it's the same thing of like, uh, like, you know, you're going to get scared. Like, you know, you're going to see Rockford, right? Right. Like that's yeah. not the question but yeah like you don't want to necessarily spoil the spoil the 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 mechanisms so that you're looking out for the thing that's about to jump out at you because you know it's about to jump at you yeah so i guess what we're positing here is that being in a state of confusion while watching this episode is what the episode is trying to do because the characters are in a state of confusion yes and if you don't have that state while you're watching it uh because you've gone and listened to us beforehand that legitimately might be a spoiler it legitimately like might spoil the experience in some way so if you're like well i'm just gonna go ahead and listen to <laughs> i feel like these guys sure are talking a lot about the episode without talking about the episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i wonder why that is yeah you might want to try and watch it and then come back yeah exactly uh that said should we jump into it or do we have any other caveats we want to throw out? No, no other caveats. Well, one uh, content uh, note, uh, oh, yeah. content warning. Um, this is about Nazis. <laughs> yes. Like, the story itself is about a character uh, who who is a Nazi sympathizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they talk about Hermann Goring and the looting of artwork and stuff like that. Like, yeah. It's not like we go super into details. There is footage of Hitler shown during the credits. Which is really weird. Which but is really that's weird. what they did. Yeah. But, yeah. That's yeah. an odd. Of all the choices, that might actually be one of the oddest choices. Yeah. Um, none of the none of the characters are Nazi sympathizers. And that, that viewpoint is not given airtime. Yeah. But it is part of the plot. Because it's about stuff yeah. that happened in the 30s and 40s. And, 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 and is directly a result of stuff that was part of the Nazi regime. Yeah. So, uh, content warning Nazis, which we, we get in the opening montage. Uh, yeah. Uh, quickly before jumping into the opening montage, just want to mention this one is written by David chase. Um, so, uh, this is season four. We're getting a lot of, uh, chase scripts in this season. This one does not involve the mob. So <laughs> it's a departure there, but also, uh, uh, I think there's, there's an interesting question of like how, I don't know, we'll get into it, but I just, because we usually talk about the writer, 
This one's written by yeah. David Chase. It is almost all talking. This episode is almost all talking. <laughs> There's very little action. And so it's, uh, you know, a, a pretty, pretty majestic display of like, let's write an entire hour of talking. <laughs> yeah, so I'll throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of talking and Nazis, uh, we get into the preview montage. We start off with Rockford saying, I know about the painting and I really don't care. And somebody saying a painting worth $3 million. And that, that's got our interest, right? Like $3 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure Rockford isn't going to sell a painting for $3 million. But <laughs> there's like even like a 10% finder's fee or something is going to. Mm-hmm. This seems like a motivating factor for Rockford. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the other thing is just, Lots of Nazi stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the great line um, uh, between at the end between um, Jim and Becker, where he's like, someone mentions Nazis around you and it sure rubs off. Mm-hmm. So uh, right off the bat, we know what's going to we know that it's going to involve a painting, lots of money and uh, probably some Nazis. Mm-hmm. And also they uh, there's a, a couple mentions of like people being dead, things happening right. long ago. So we're set up for like, this is concerning incidents that happened in the past, I think is mm-hmm. also fairly relevant. We're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Thanks to you, we're a 100% listener supported show. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, Our patrons get Plus Expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons supporting this episode. Chuck from whatcha'reading.com, Paul Townend. Paul also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, check out rollforyour.party for all of your online dice-rolling needs. Jay Adan. Check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jadon.com. Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Matthew Lee, and Jay Thompson. And finally, we can't thank our detective-level patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter. Brian Pereira, at Thermoware. Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88. And of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200 pod help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts tell a friend who you think would like it and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you okay so you've gone and watched the episode and now you've come back and you're like (laughs) why did you send me to watch that episode or maybe you're like huh what an interesting episode i wonder what you guys have to say about it we're we're hope it's the latter (laughs) (laughs) or you decided never to watch our uh never to listen to our podcast again these are all legitimate um um feelings responses (laughs) yes legitimate responses so i think what 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 we want to do here is instead of doing the go through front to back treatment right I'm thinking of more of a onion treatment where we'll we'll talk about the hour layer and then maybe go into the next layer. Sure, yeah. And I then like we'll see see if we get to to a core of some kind, but maybe it's just onion skin all the way down. <laughs> Someone went to art school. Guilty as charged. All right. So in Irving the Explainer, <laughs> Jim gets hired to look up um, some associates of a nazi sympathizer director hollywood director Mm -hmm. from the 30s and 40s 
who, who died in, in, I think, 46, they say. He is hired by a woman who is writing a biography and wants to talk to people who knew him at the time. Ostensibly. Ostensibly, yeah. This was what he's hired to do. So yeah. this episode takes place in 77, um, or maybe 76. Uh, it airs in uh, uh, 77. So we're talking about the Hollywood of 40s, 50s, 60s, of, of 30 to 40 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. That helps me contextualize because <laughs> we are watching a show from the 70s, so 80s, 90s, 2000s, 30 almost. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a line um, partway through it. Uh, I actually didn't even write down who said it, but they said, uh, I mean, when you think about it, the 40s were only yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I paused and did the math. And the episode that we're watching is probably further away from us. Yeah. Then the events they're talking about are from them. Right. Right. So it like, <laughs> cause sometimes it's really easy to just be like, well, that's really far in the history, uh, you know, but it's not to the characters that we're, we're talking to. And, and it is reasonable that there's people alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so that's what he's hired to do in so doing. He uncovers this horrific, not uncovers, but he discovers uh, this horrific murder that happened. This director's wife was murdered and there were all these potential people involved. It was never solved. There's also a painting that he's supposed to have had uh, that was being couriered to him from Herman Goring. uh, Yes. The, uh, uh, forget the title, but the Luftwaffe um, title. Marshal or or whatever in uh, Nazi Germany, and uh, he was buddies with Nazis. This 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 director was Korper. Um, he was a right leaning guy in the 30s before you know before World War II. Right? There's a there's a not a joke, but there's a reference. It's kind of a joke. I don't know. So so Goring gave him a car, and then yeah. So this is the car that he crashed in and and died. Uh, later in the forties, apparently because after, you know, the fall of the, the Reich, he couldn't get parts for this car anymore. So the brakes <laughs> failed or whatever. Anyway, there's this very valuable painting, um, that disappeared basically around the time that this guy's wife was killed. So we have, uh, stolen art. There's, there's stolen art. There's this unsolved Hollywood murder. Mm-hmm. And then there's a pair of Germans who appear and are convinced that Jim knows something about the painting. There's a pair of French spies, secret service. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially it's like yeah. the national French security, the security, uh, something national security, something, something. There's a couple of French guys who have been yeah. on the trail of this painting. Like their, their office has been on the trail of this painting since it was smuggled out of Germany. Um, and have been trying to find it, and and now the woman who hired Jim um, has something to do. They've identified her as being associated with the current whereabouts of the painting. We'll we'll get to that. Um, mm-hmm. So they're following Jim because they think he knows something about the painting. Um, what else? What else? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm trying to to briefly summarize, but yeah. So so Jim goes through this whole thing, and over and over, he's like, okay. How does this all fit together? We have this murder. We have this painting. Everyone's after this painting. But this murder was this inciting incident. And right. the Hollywood buddies of the of the director that he keeps that he turns up are have more to say about this murder and who might have been involved and who did it than this painting that they don't care about. And then all these like Secret Service guys and French and German you know, spies and whatever care about the painting. They don't care about the murder. 
Jim's trying to figure it all out, put all the pieces together. We're with Jim because we're like, Jim's going to figure out the mystery, right? There's a mystery here. Let's see how it all fits together. There's there's a bunch of red herrings throughout it. Yeah. Um, or, oh, God. I You know what? He's not uh, one of the cast members, obviously, <laughs> because he's been dead this whole time. Yeah. But um, I can't Cor- think of his name. Corper, the director. The director, yeah. So Alva Corper. Yeah, he he... In addition to being friends with Nazis, mm-hmm. uh, he made a bunch of films. Uh, and I'm going to say, I'm going to specifically The Bloody Sky, Wings of Deceit, Hell on Wish- Wilshire Boulevard, and Erie Canal. <laughs> Exquisite names. <laughs> I would watch every last one of those films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he reportedly destroyed them, burned them, right? Right. We have uh, a picture of this guy from the very beginning that doesn't say, oh, he was this Nazi sympathizer. Uh, that gets uncovered as um, Rockford starts investigating. He learns that, like, he talks to people that worked with him who hate him. It just unfolds that he just wasn't a pleasant, pleasant person. Uh, so there's that sort of smaller mystery of like, who is this person? And then uh, there's a cast of characters that never show up that are all yeah. around the murder, right? Mm-hmm. His his wife was having an affair with Julio, who's the younger brother of Raul, and mm-hmm. so though and they were the gardeners at the time. One of them may have killed her. Uh, uh, Alva might have c- killed her himself. Um, there's there's these two uh, Patricks. There's mm-hmm. there's Irving Patrick and uh, Patrick Parnell. Mm-hmm. And there's confusion around which Patrick people are talking about all the time. And again, only Irving shows up because right. his name is in the title. <laughs> right, right. If it was called Patrick the Explainer, that could have been yeah. another layer. But, <laughs> another layer. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to, to kind of note that this there's a whole cast that doesn't exist. It's almost like we're watching people talk about an Agatha Christie yes. yeah, yeah. history, right? Like there's a whole cast of people that will never show up on screen. And so um, a- as far as a visual medium goes, we don't have clues as to who they are. So you have to kind of like remember their names. There and- is a literal corkboard with red string mm-hmm. moment in the episode because it's so confusing and Jim's trying to, to, figure it all out and keep things straight before we dive into that. Cause that's another thing we could dive into. That's the deepest um, mystery of all. By the way. <laughs> but we'll get, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jim eventually uh, uh, reconnects with his original client. She mm-hmm. gives her name as Karen Hall. That's not her real name. We'll get into that. What's kind of, kind of tying this all together logistically and also bringing in Dennis and the police is that uh, one of the director's cronies, not cronies, but like one of his, he was his assistant director and his assistant and stuff at the time is still alive. Is one of the people, his name's buddy is one of the people that Jim originally tracks down and talks to. And then buddy is killed um, Mm -hmm. by these Germans who are after this painting that brings in the the police and the French security forces are working with the police or whatever. Uh, So that's why Dennis is involved. But anyway, so there's a murder, there's an actual murder in our timeline that is also like we kind of know who did it, but like trying to track down the Germans involves figuring out the painting. So what's going on with the painting? So that where the painting is, Jim reconnects with Karen Hall. They discover that there are two grave sites for the murdered woman for Olivia um, Corper. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, maybe it's buried at one of those grave sites. They engineer a situation where the Germans abduct Jim, go to this crypt, open up the crypt. 
surprise, it's not the painting. It's all the film reels that he was said to have <laughs> burned. Um, this So this brings the Germans kind of to justice. Um, while the French go to the other gravesite, the painting is not there. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of left at the end with this like, wait, so, you know, what happened to the painting? Mm-hmm. Are these things still connected? Uh, and then Jim has this whole like, okay, I've figured it out. Here's what happened. Wait, wait, before before we get to that, we need to say just how triumphant this reveal is, because I wrote this quote down. He, he made this reveal. Everyone's standing in awe. And Rocky says, Boy, it never stops happening. You never stop making me proud of you, Sonny. Mm-hmm. Which is how we know it's not accurate. <laughs> yes. It's just, oh, who is it? Yeah. Um, so this is all all undercut by the sudden appearance in our final scene mm-hmm. of Irving Patrick, who's been this kind of like, we haven't been able to find him. We haven't been able to talk to him. Yes. Um, throughout the entire episode. He's probably the only one left alive from that, the, the events. And he's having a heart attack as he pulls up on Rocky's lawn and they all go out and he, as the title says, explains yes. what happened all those years ago. And it turns out that he actually is the one who killed Olivia Corper because she was planning to run away with the other Patrick, with Patrick Parnell, and they're going to sell the painting to finance their life together. Mm-hmm. And Irving Patrick, he's an art dealer now, and at the time he was trying to get into the art world, and so he was going to take that painting as his own like entree into art dealership or whatever. So he killed her to keep her from taking and selling the painting, I guess. Uh, then there's there's other details about some other stuff that they all thought was true that isn't true. Um, and the, the point is, is that every conclusion that Jim has come to about yes. this entire thing, including he has this big moment where he's like, oh, here's why it's so confusing. These things are not related. We've been trying to make them connect. The art and this murder, though they involve similar people, are not related crimes, right? Yes. And that leads him down his road to like figuring it all out. And then it turns out that he's wrong. They are related because, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, every last bit. Every last bit. And uh, yeah, and so we get a, a bunch of reveals about what really happened. The painting never even made it to Corper. They think it was stolen. Irving thinks it was stolen by the German courier. So it never even made it to Brazil because that's where the handoff was going to happen. More details. Um, he was planning to kill Karen Hall because she, it turns out, is the daughter of Alva and Olivia. And then she was taken away after her mother's murder and told that she was the daughter of their housekeeper who took her away. And she had just found out that that's not the truth, but she as a child had seen Patrick. And so he was afraid she would remember him and was going to kill her, but now he's having a heart attack. So he wants to confess and so on. She has no memory of this, right? Which is another just weird twist is that she has no memory of this very traumatic event, but he, he remembers her very clearly and her in a, excited state so yeah yeah i mean i got no conclusions to draw from that other than like uh it's yet another fog dropped on top of everything that that's that's going on the the episode ends with the the sourest joke (laughs) i don't even know but i can't live with it anymore all right i'll call dennis becker police sergeant friend of mine but Irving, you're going to have to do the explaining. 
Irving. Irving dies in Rockford's arms? I guess. And it's like a, like, <laughs> wah, wah. Now you have to explain it. Um, I mean, I guess we shouldn't jump straight to the end here, but we're at, we're going to dig into other things too, but just like. Yeah. So I think that brings up maybe the first question, like what? Yeah, no, what? What? Well, <laughs> I was going to say, what lens does this episode benefit from being viewed through? Right. So when when we scared people off uh, earlier in our podcast, mm-hmm. this is what because my notes at the end here are like Rockford's frustration is our frustration. Right, Rockford's right. confusion is our confusion. Never have we been asked to identify so closely with Jim yes. Rockford's emotional state <laughs> as we are in this episode. So and there is I think there's textual evidence for this, if I if I may mm-hmm. use the word textual and evidence. I'll allow it. Throughout, there's a very fun and interesting motif that happens throughout uh which is becker and chapman's involvement Mm -hmm. because they hang on everyone's word about every chapman is still like vaguely adversarial to rockford but not like he normally is the most chapman-y thing he does is so the the security guys the french guys are giving it's this long scene i know Mm because i took notes and i was like why why am I typing so much? It's all exposition and it's broken into three discrete locations because it would be too long to sit in one place and have this conversation. Yeah. And it's also played for laughs. Everyone's getting tired. Dennis yeah. is yawning. And at one point, Chapman <laughs> Chapman breaks in and asks them if they want to get something to eat. But he does so in like high school level French. Yes. And that's the most Chapman-y <laughs> thing to me because they're talking in English this whole time. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, oh, I'm going to use the little French I know to kind of suck up to these important guys from another country. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this scene, the joke at the beginning of the scene is so great because they're like, what exactly would you want to know? Oh, the whole Magilla, painting, Karen, Albert Corper, Herman Goering. But don't just jump in in the last couple of days, all right? I'm, I'm confused. Just begin at the beginning. Very well. France, 1789. <laughs> Queen Marie Antoinette on her 30th birthday. Yeah. So this is, is one of the big mystery, not misdirects, but one of the big, like, meaty, here's what this episode's about that's not actually what it's about. We have mm-hmm. a significant amount of screen time going through every beat of this painting. Yeah. Um, it's a Watteau, uh, uh, Antoine Watteau, is a French painter. A Watteau. A Watteau. Um, <laughs> There's a there's a gag when Jim is first interrogated by the Germans where the way that the German guy says it is like like Vato. And Vato, Jim's yeah. like, I don't know what word like and I'm taking my notes, I'm like, I don't know what word that's supposed to be. It's because it's a German accent on a French name. <laughs> As a American English speaker, I'm like, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Um anyway, but and Anton Watteau is a French uh, the, the, a real French painter. Um the painting they're talking about is fabricated. Um they call it um, Pilgrimage to Avignon. There is a Watteau painting. Um, there's actually two paintings or two different takes on the same subject. Uh, uh, Pilgrimage to Cytheria or like a trip to Cip- There's a couple different translations and there's two separate paintings. Not to make things more confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, we should. And I don't know if this is actually a reference to that or not. Or is it just like or it's like we just made up a French sounding uh, painting. Um, but this particular one is understood by some art historians as kind of being about like the fleetingness of love and like the end of love. People mm. have paired off and are leaving 
um, this island of, of love. So if you wanted to read a little bit into that, I think there might be something there. I might also have <laughs> just gotten two, two yarns on a cork board here to, right, um, right. for my own good. Um, what we're talking about again? Oh, so yeah. So this whole long sequence, <laughs> about Irving gives, yeah, gives all the details about this painting. Um, uh, uh, plot wise, they think that Corpus housekeeper took it when she fled after Olivia's, uh, when he, he got crazy or he got, you know, I don't know, he got unstable and she disappeared after Olivia's murder. And so they think she took it. Um, and then mm-hmm. she died in a, bus crash like a week ago and they discovered her name because this has been an open case for 30 years or whatever yeah but when they went to find her she was already dead but she was traveling with a young woman who she said was her daughter who turns out is karen hall who's the one who hired jim so that's the trail that they're following on anyway lots and lots of details lots of good jokes there's a great uh gag where dennis is like falling asleep trying to take notes yes (laughs) For political reasons, they tried to tie the theft to a family of Jewish art thieves who traced their roots to the time of Louis Catorze. This guy, Louis Catorze, he got a spelling on our last name? Catorze is not a last name. Louis Catorze means Louis XIV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyhow. Uh, yeah, it's... Okay. So <laughs> to zoom out for just a little bit, mm-hmm. the, the thing I was saying before, like Dennis is taking notes throughout all the time on everything everyone says. Chapman is just hanging on all of the words like he's just listening to the whole thing. I mean, he is. I think he is also kind of getting to the end of his stamina, though. Like, we yeah, see yeah, him yeah. like getting more and more slumped. <laughs> But but it's it's um like when a kid wants to stay up late and they're <laughs> falling asleep but they don't want to admit that you know mm-hmm. it seems to me oh okay so this motif that I was talking about that keeps showing up is that the moment anyone hears about any little bit of the these mysteries that are all roiled together uh they become obsessed with finding out the clue now right. sometimes it's for the $100,000 reward for finding the painting right like there's the greed motive that exists out there for a lot of the different parties that are getting involved um but there's like like rocky he gets angry that jim's putting himself in danger but he's strangely into this kid well not strangely rocky occasionally <laughs> just gets royal um, um let me let me stop there for a second can, can we talk about daphne yes <laughs> <laughs> so um after this big scene with the french inspectors where we get all the stuff about the painting which ends with Again, like you were saying with Jim being like, okay, here's some conclusions that I'm drawing. Because we get through all this whole thing and then Dennis is like, okay, so how does this tie into the murder of Buddy Richards? And mm-hmm. one of the French guys is like, who's Buddy Richards? Right? Because this is totally <laughs> parallel, you know, a different track. Um, Chapman asks... Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you think the uh, homicide ties in with the painting? Hey, hey. I think that Ronald Sanchez or Irving Patrick has the answer to that question. Hmm? And he's so excited, right? We see Jim. It seems like Jim doesn't sleep during this time. Yeah, yeah. Like he's getting increasingly obsessed with trying to figure out what's happening. He, he's manic. 
in in the beginning, as he's explaining it to Dennis at one point, he just starts holding his head and just complaining about this headache that it's giving him. Mm-hmm. And like, I think there's a viewing of this where this all of this is a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> there's a last scene where he wakes up in a hospital. Yeah, exactly. The um, but anyways, go on. Yeah. Anyway, so Jim bursts in with like. Well, I think that Raul Sanchez or Irving Patrick has the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And everyone just stares at him because it's like, we <laughs> yeah. haven't, we don't like, we haven't mentioned Raul Sanchez. <laughs> Irving Patrick, I don't think has come up except very tangentially, but Jim has been, you know, dutifully trying to connect all the dots. So we have all this information and then we, uh, cut to, um, Rocky getting out of his truck, holding a bag of groceries. Always appreciated. <laughs> Um, it's Rocky, so we know that no one's going to come and shove them out of his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's saying, there's a $100,000 reward? So the French are offering this $100,000 reward for finding and returning the this Watteau painting. So they walk into Rocky's house, and there's a woman we've never seen before sitting behind a typewriter with this corkboard behind her. And Jim introduces her to Rocky in Rocky's house. Yes. <laughs> as uh, Daphne Ishawahara. And she's a PhD candidate in logic that he has hired Mm -hmm. to help figure out what's going on in this case. Yes. So, all right. So there's some things about this that, that, uh, that intrigue me because the way she's introduced and there, okay. So there's some fun jokes in the scene about logic and Occam's razor, Occam's razor. They explain Occam's razor to us, which is, you know, you don't want to make mm -hmm. assumptions about your television viewing audience. So I appreciated that. Yeah. And you have to explain it to, to, uh, to Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. And there's a great line in here. Um, you know, another great Rocky line where he's, you know, you're as good as those folks on the educational TV shows. I don't watch them, but I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something about this introduction that made me feel, I I remember when I first watched it, because I was like, we were watching it through, and then she showed up and I was like, oh, it's her. She's not a character anymore. Like, she just exists in this episode and it felt so much like they were introducing mm-hmm. another character that would be part of the reoccurring cast. Like there's yeah. this logic professor that he would go to from time to time. So that's neither here nor there. That's just, I just wanted to like, just point that out. Right. She's here to in both, I think, add to the general sense of chaos mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to make jokes about logic. <laughs> yes. Not at her expense, but like no, no, no. In in order to write jokes about logic at usually at Jim's and Rocky's expense into the script. So yeah, so this is my my thinking here because she's sitting at a typewriter. She's behind her is our corkboard with yarn and everything. Let's go ahead and start the petition to replace the standard. Um, I think is it from It's Always Sunny the, the yeah, yeah, yeah of like Charlie with all the, the yeah. yarn like to replace <laughs> it with. This <laughs> with with Daphne and her corkboard of of yarn and uh, and uh, index cards. So her role in this uh, is aside from like running, you know, doing these jokes and also kind of explaining Occam's razor to us, but is to present like Jim is in so far in over his head 
Mm-hmm. He called in what would otherwise, if this were like a sci-fi show, they would be like, let's talk to the computer. Right, right, yeah. Okay, I guess what I'm saying is that you have her at the typewriter typing out these cards that go up on that board. And, you know, it seems that like her job is to process the information. Right, right, yeah. And generate answers or something like that. And um, it's just funny. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a counterpoint, you know, for for comedic effect of like this is a deeply, deeply illogical situation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're gonna, so we bring her in, and she creates a, this the the humor of like trying to, you know, just using the wrong tool for the job. And we are, I I did check. We were like about a half hour into the episode when she showed up, right? Mm-hmm. Like so. That's also kind of a um interesting thing when it comes to shows like this because normally you get like almost all of the characters sure. are at least mentioned or introduced in the early part. So we so I guess what what I'm saying is uh it, she stands out or at least stood out in my mind from when I first watched it way back. Yeah, when. Yeah, I didn't remember that she was in this actually. Like this this character was in this. I remember the character. I couldn't remember what episode. That's <laughs> the thing, and I think that's why. Like she. At some point, I probably saw her and thought, oh, she'll be a part of the show. Mm-hmm. And she just wasn't. And uh, she's not part of the mystery. She's just, just showing you the resources that Jim's trying to pull together to make this happen. Right? She's part like, of the fun. Yeah, she's part of the fun. <laughs> not part of the show. Not part of the mystery. Part of the fun. Yeah. But also, it feels a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm focusing on this, but like, it feels a little bit to me like Jim thinks he's on to this hundred thousand dollar reward. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because he's hiring. He's hiring staff. someone. Yeah. 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 So you know, we see that Jim is hired, but then Karen disappears, and mm-hmm. we. I think we can assume that he never gets paid for. Yeah. Anything, yeah. No, this is right? out of pocket, and. <laughs> um. Yeah, he is interested in this reward, but unlike many other episodes, he now has an excuse to stay on the case. Like, Mm -hmm. he could get the reward out of it, but he is obsessed. Yes. (laughs) Like, he has a need to figure out what is going on and Mm -hmm. the story behind everything, right? Because there's this cold case, and then there's the painting. Um, Yeah, so Karen Hall... So this character is played by Barbara Babcock, who has been all over TV. I think she was in a soap opera or two. She definitely has a very familiar face. Yeah. Oh, I mean, a lot of people that we see on, on this do. And I'm, I was just scanning through this trying to find. She did, a, she did a number of uncredited voice roles on the original series Star Trek. Oh. As, as well as was in a few of them, but. Uh, yeah, she was in episodes of Mannix. She was in, um, oh, she was on Dallas. Oh, she was in Night Gallery. Hill Street Blues, Rubbington Steel, a couple episodes, multiple episodes of Murder, She Wrote, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, yes, very familiar face, kind of familiar name. I wasn't, I was like, oh, I feel like I should know that name. Anyway. I feel like she's like a DC Comics character <laughs> with a name yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so this character, her name is Karen Hall. So when Jim talks to Buddy Richards, who I was like, I I also recognize that name, but that's because I was thinking of Buddy Rogers, who was a, a pro wrestler um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, of this time, actually, I think. Speaking of a recognizable face. Buddy Rogers was one of the first Nature Boy wrestlers. So Nature ah. Boy, Ric Flair, that's a inheritance from Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, when Jim talks to Buddy Richards, who was... Uh, the director Corpers, like assistant director, um, mm-hmm. 
he tells Jim all the Nazi affiliations and all the stories about Goring. And he mentions Karen Hall, which was Goring's like estate in the Black Forest, spelled with a C and one word, but Karen Hall. Yeah. And so Jim's like, so a woman named Karen Hall has <laughs> hired me. So that gets him suspicious. I was waiting for the reveal on this to be that it was a coincidence. Right. <laughs> but it turns out that her, I guess her real name is Catherine um, something, I guess, Corper. I mean, she's his daughter. She's the director's daughter, though, right? You're right. Yeah. 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 So the, the housemaid who took her in and ran away with her when she was mm-hmm. like three or whatever, told her that she was her daughter and her father's name was Hall and her name is Karen Hall. Yeah. So she never made that connection. And I'm like, I don't know why anyone would until it was brought up as a plot element. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like that is a name that people have. There are real people named Karen Hall. But yes, it turns out that that's not her real name. But that was an intentional dig, I guess. It was a there are a couple there's a there's a, a a running gag of people telling Jim that Corper did something funny and he just goes, Deadpans, what a card. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think this is one of those. It's like it was a big joke on his enemies. I wasn't going anywhere in particular with this except that she <laughs> she hires him at first and then he runs into her again as she's also trying to poke around the old uh, uh, mansion yes. that Corper owned, right? That was his house before he, he he went over the cliff or whatever. And so they reconvene and kind of Jim accuses her of lying to him. And she tells him the story about how she didn't even know that that was her name until a week ago. And now she's being chased by the, you know, the security guys. And she just wants to find this painting because it means that she'll be able to, I don't know, figure out who she really is and, she also is interested in the reward, like yeah, like I I get the distinct impression by the end of this that um she's more interested in the reward yeah yeah than anything else right like although okay so let's talk a little bit about Karen <laughs> <laughs> uh, because there's this moment that doesn't quite sit right with me at the end of this episode where Irving our Irving the the explainer mm-hmm. comes in and is explaining things and confesses to the murder. And Jim is frustrated and upset that Irving has chosen now to confess for the murder. Right. Just just when Jim thought he had it all figured out. Yeah, exactly. I think it, you can feel Jim's frustration for, for being wrong. And he's sort of laying it on Irving. And he's like, why confess now? It happened so long ago. And then we turn to Karen. Mm-hmm. And she goes, yeah, that was so long ago. We were talking about him murdering her mom. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, acting moment, I think, for her. We see her holding back tears. Yes. She seems as, I don't know, not as upset, but I think one thing that is going on is that he's, this guy is telling her, I killed your mom and you saw me do it. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. like, I don't remember her being my mom. And I yeah. don't remember seeing you ever. Yeah. Right? Like, she has an entire life that does not include this. And now... And this guy's- confessing to wanting to kill her right like so there's just yeah because he was going to kill her and then yeah because he was afraid she was going to expose him because she would remember him from seeing him as a child and then he started having a heart attack yes (laughs) instead she has a lot hitting her all at once yes and you know i think we kind of see that on her face and i don't know if we need her to do anything in that moment no no yeah i'm not i guess 
what I meant was, uh, it's that that moment. There's a lot going on in that moment, which is otherwise kind of a joke about the whole yeah. episode, right? When you think about her emotional journey from the beginning of the episode to the end of the episode, right? We, um, I, I honestly don't, I can't, I can't parse out what her motivation was at the beginning, other than to find out who her real father was. She does want to track down the painting. She knows about the painting. All right. So by that point, she knows about the painting. She does want to visit. She wants to visit her mother's grave. Like that. Right. Is, that comes up later, like as a thing she specifically wants to actually do. Right. She knows both. She knows one gravesite, and that the and um, then Jim has found out a different gravesite from like the law firm that handled yeah, yeah. the affairs or whatever. So. Um, and she was told all this stuff by her, they call her her foster mom, but the, the housekeeper that yeah, died in yeah. the bus crash. Yeah, it's just a, it's a weird journey for her to be uh, not even like a secondary character on it. Well, maybe she was. <laughs> like it's, Yeah, I mean, okay, I guess this is the part where we talk about how this is put together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if we can. If we can. <laughs> Well, let's take a little break. Uh, We want to make sure that you know where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Uh, You can Google Epidiah. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, You can go to digathousandholes.com. That's the number a thousand. Or you can go to worlds, plural, without master, singular.com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at ndpaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast go to 200 a day.fireside.fm and now back to the continuing adventures of jimbo rockfish so uh, our onion tackling here mm-hmm. is interesting because there's no there's no end to the layers right yeah because there's even a question where it's kind of like irving in the end could be making a false confession yeah right for some other reason like jim kind of accuses him of doing that he does bring up the like oh and so here's the other another big reveal from his confession is that alva corper didn't actually die um Mm -hmm. that the body that went over the cliff in that car was the body of patrick parnell who was who mysteriously disappeared around that mysteriously disappeared after olivia's murder Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like revenge because Alva thought that Parnell killed Olivia. Yeah, or was going to run away with her, or yeah, I forget if it was like because you were having the affair or yeah, or what exactly? But like, and so he's been in a. They say, he says he's been in a sanitarium for alcoholics in Jersey until last year, so until you know seventy six yeah. or whatever, and that's when he called Irving Patrick. And like told him all this because Irving Patrick also thought that he was dead. Yeah. And that started him down the road of like trying to find out if this, you know, if his daughter was still alive and if the painting was yeah. around and et cetera. So, okay. Um, we have our cork board. <laughs> we have all of our yarn. Uh, we have not hired a PhD student in uh, logic, mm-hmm. which is a shame 
because this was a real opportunity for us to do so. <laughs> Dig deep into our budget. We'll make a we'll we'll have to make a new Patreon goal. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are a number of different ways to look at this. So okay, I'm going to no, let me go back. I think there are a number of different lenses through which to view this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of which you can do and and uh, not enjoy the episode. Right. It offers itself up to that in ways that other uh, Rockford uh, files don't necessarily I've, do. Yeah, I've, I've had a conversation with someone a couple of years ago now where I think I mentioned the show or something. And they said that they'd watched a couple episodes and one of them was this one. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad that they stopped watching the show. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. We uh being who we are have the we're in a position to give rock profiles the the benefit of the doubt we obviously know that um Mm -hmm. there's lots of really good ones so looking at lenses through which to view this uh where it is an enjoyable episode and one Mm -hmm. that we can um one of which i think is a send-up right Uh, now it's an it's an interesting one to look through that lens because, for instance, and we've we've said this before, but the title uh, credits are all footage of Nazis and Hitler with like a military music playing behind it. So it's not a screwball comedy. No, yeah, <laughs> that know? certainly sets a weird tone. So the credits start nine minutes into the episode. It's one of the mm-hmm. later debuts um, that yeah. we've done in a while. So they don't start until after we get the um, exposition about Corpor's right. Nazi sympathetic sympathizing connections. and connections, right? And I think not. In, I think it's after the conversation. Yeah, it's after the conversation that Jim has with Buddy Richards, where he kind of tells him all this, you know, gives him all this background, and that conversation ends on the thing about the Karen Hall. Yeah, you know, Jim making the connection of the name Karen Hall, and then we have our credits. And so we've just been hearing all the stuff about Goring um, or Goering and we go right into the, yeah, the, the stock footage of Hitler. And it's like the humor in the episode kicks in after this. <laughs> okay. So uh, one of the things that we have going when he's talking to um, uh, Buddy is that he's, we, we get the list of the movies, right? Mm-hmm. That he's done. Um or no, no, we get the list of the movies earlier. Now now I'm all all out of whack, but it doesn't matter. There's the list of the movies. And one of the things that Buddy talks about is how uh, uh, he, he ste- the, the um, oh, I forget his name now, Corporate, st- steals all of his good ideas, right? Stole any good idea he had, he stole from someone else. So he st- stole, which mirrors the whole like steering and stealing of the painting and mm-hmm. just in general, what, you know, what was going on. But um, there's these fun bits about because Jim had seen Wings of Deceit and there was like a little thing about the uh, yeah, like on TV late night. Yeah. And there was like a Wings of Deceit was definitely a noir. Like there was like a femme fatale who lured someone to doing something. And in the end, she blinded herself for whatever reason. And Buddy is like, yeah, I came up with that with her blinding herself. His best ideas. Whose do you think they were? Yours, I bet. Who do you think thought of the blindness gag for the end of Wings of Deceit? Who do you think thought of the flaming crash into the oil well for the bloody sky? In fact, who do you think shot the whole sequence while Corpa was off uh, seducing teenage girls? 
And you can see on Jim's face, like, well, like weird flex, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh right. So if this thing, I'm grasping at a, at a theory here Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it does feel like I lately have been watching a lot of noirs and there's a lot of good ones, but there's also a lot of like any genre there's there, you know, there's ones that are kind of like hackneyed stereotypical. They're like famously good ones that at the end of it, you're like, I don't know what happened. Like, I just don't know. Well, I mean, that's like the whole thing with the Maltese Falcon, right? Like, yeah, there's no real conclusion. There's no real there there that we ever learn. Right. And, and uh, this episode feels a little bit like a commentary on that Mm -hmm. there's no this is real life this is but also there's just this weird thing where uh buddy is all bragging about coming up with this sort of surprise ending and we have a surprise ending in this episode uh but it doesn't buddy's surprise ending doesn't really matter because everything we learn about buddies and and corpor's life is already more interesting than, <laughs> than the the movies that they're doing. Yeah, and he's in this position where he's clearly like in the decline of a like he has he has a production company, but it's like in a room at a motel where he has rented equipment. Yes. When Jim first goes in, there's a voiceover for like a like yes. a, like a conspiracy alien film or something. It was Loch Ness at one time an awesome intergalactic watering hole. Where the fabled Robin Hood and his merry band actually visitors from some faraway star system? C. Commuters of the Universe. Uh, excuse me. Soon, Mr. Richard. Theater near you. Commuters of the Universe was the name of it. And I'm like, I want to watch this show so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No. And the whole death scene where he comes in and he's been shot in the gut and yeah. he's slowly dying. And his last thing is. Uh, I wrote this one down. Hey, Pop, you tell him to be careful how they handle the moviola. It's a rental. <laughs> and then he just oh. slumps over and all the film shoots out of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh. These are, yeah, so like that in particular, um, yeah, Dennis going through the microfilm, um, yeah. going into the crypt to with the German guys, or Jim being forced into the crypt with the German guys to yeah. open this, this coffin. Like, these are, they're played a little over the top, I think. Like, so they're framed with classic noir framing, right? That crypt and that graveyard, those are Vincent Price horror. F- like, there was a... There were candlesticks in that crypt. I don't know. I've never been in a crypt. I don't know <laughs> if there are candlesticks, but it just, they felt like a, a movie set and in like kind of a very fun way, right? Yeah. With Jim running out into the graveyard, mm-hmm. calling for Dennis's help. There's the close up on him when he's like jumped up behind like a little like hill or something. And it clearly is AstroTurf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all, I think, intentional nods to the movies, right? right? These are scenes from capital T, capital M, the movies. Yes. The big dramatic death before, you know, before he can be saved. Uh, yeah, good, the running out of the crypt. Um, the conspiracy board. The conspiracy board, yeah. So there's a, there's a send-up element, but there's also a celebration element yeah. where it seems like everyone involved is like, yeah, we're just going to get weird. Like, this is just... Yeah, yeah. Like, let's just have fun with it. There's a bit in there. 
um, with the gun in the cookie jar. Yes. <laughs> and I, uh, I, okay, I think this is just a joke, but I'm not entirely sure, right? So Rockford's at his trailer. He goes to get himself some milk and cookies, right? Because it's a very wholesome thing for him to do. Well, he's dressed in dark clothes. He has a bag. He's This is after the conversation of trying to figure out which grave yeah. the, the Watteau might be buried in. And then so it's clearly implied here that he's going to head out on to do some grave robbing. Yeah. Um, he picks up the lid to the cookie jar. He pulls the gun up. And takes a cookie out and puts the gun back down, if I'm not mistaken. I, yes. I think that's yeah. what happened. Yeah, he has a glass of milk. He takes out an Oreo. We see him take out the gun. We see him put the gun back in. Yeah, I noted that as well. All right. So this is Chekhov's gun, right? This is this is the thing. We've been very deliberate. The director, uh, James Colburn, has been very deliberate about showing us that there's a gun in this cookie jar. And then throughout what happens next, when the the... German Gutens come in, the the guy in charge has his hand, he pours himself Rockford's milk mm-hmm. and just puts his hand on that cookie jar, on top of that cookie jar throughout. Nothing comes of that guy. <laughs> and I'm I'm thinking that's a joke, right? Like I, I think that that's a mm-hmm. he even so I even had a note where I was like, did Jim eat the Oreo? Because he has the Oreo and then he looks out the window because he hears <laughs> the doors of the car slam. And then there's a cut, and I'm like, I wonder if he ate the Oreo. And then later, that the main German guy, he picks up the Oreo where Jim had put it down, and he twists it apart and looks <laughs> at it, and then puts that down. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like you're not getting this Oreo. <laughs> everything in this scene, 100 percent, is deliberate, right? Like yeah, all yeah. of that is deliberate. And so my my, I can't not read that as a joke. Well, it's both a joke and it's a riff on Jim, right? Because it's a riff yeah. on the gun in the cookie jar is one of the Rockford things. Yeah. And this moment where he's choosing the cookie rather than the gun. Like, I don't need yes. the gun. I do need this cookie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess the to get back to the like lens question, I think watching this episode and being like, all right, this is. Like, this is a weird, crazy mystery, and there's all this stuff going on, but this is the Rockford Files, and at the end, they're going to tie it all up, and, and you know, we'll find out what the deal was. Um, that is an unsatisfying lens for this episode, yeah, yeah. right? Because uh, that's not what it's really about. But this is the thing about, like, spoiling it, right? I don't know how to tell you how you should watch this episode without right. making it less of an event to watch the episode yourself. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Cause it's kind of like, you just kind of let it, it's a very, let it wash over you episode where appreciating each scene for what it is, is kind of a good tactic. I think each individual scene has a little fun arc to it. You learn a little bit, you get some good jokes. You kind of go like, okay, let's see where this is going next, but you don't want to be so invested in Jim's success that you're going to be disappointed at the end. Yeah. And the, I think the the point the point that I'm I'm kind of making with the cookie jar gun is that like throughout the whole thing everything is deliberate. Mhm. I guess yeah, that's what I mean about like appreciating each scene because each scene kind of has some elements in it where like here's this reference, here's this pastiche bit. Yeah. Like yeah. going up to see the old house, right? It's this kind of decrepit Hollywood mansion like mission style, beautiful building, but it's fallen into disrepair. Right. Mm -hmm. And Jim, Jim has set up 
a meeting with the realtor to get a walk through the house so that he can get access to the house. And then Karen has just been like sneaking around. And so there's a bit of this like snooty, like lifestyles, the rich and famous vibe to this realtor guy who's like trying to give them the tour, but they keep, they keep talking and walking away. So he comes (laughs) back to find them and he's like, well, uh, do you folks want to look at the bathrooms or what? I have another appointment. Sure. Sure. Go right ahead. Well, would you follow me? Here I go, being left alone again. <laughs> he just, I wrote it down. It's very funny. But um, but then uh, this is after uh, Karen has been like, this place is full of weird stuff. And I, rem- and I know it because I have been here before. And she like touches a painting and it turns and there's a hidden alcove behind it. Which yeah. is some like <laughs> chairs or something. Yeah, it's like, so you have the, like the mysterious old house full of secret passages. And that's just kind of for the fun of that scene. Yeah, they don't have to explore it. It's explored off screen, and they they they're like, "Yep, it's not there." Yeah, yeah. Oh God, I had something to say. Looking through my notes, stupid notes written in <laughs> chronological order. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, oh, I just wanted to another um, fun thing about this episode. I don't know if this plays into any of our theories or not, but the German villains, an ex neurosurgeon and an Olympic wrestler, right. Oh my god! Yeah, they're very like uh, Bond villains. Yeah, right. Yeah, they're very Bond villains. I think the guy, the neurosurgeon guy, like this is his thing is like playing old German weirdos. the The whole thing about the wrestler is great because he gets the drop on Rockford three times. Yeah. This the second time Rockford has the great line, like, "Okay, Willie, we get it. You're tough. (laughs) You can stop now." And the third time in the graveyard, he like like messes Rockford's hand up. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> so. Yeah, so I guess the deal is these guys are former Nazi security guys. Yeah, like internal or something. So they're old. So the I mean the the neurosurgeon guy is older, and then the Olympic wrestler maybe he was recruited later or something. But like, um, yeah. they they eventually reveal that like I mean they are after the painting. Uh, they know about it because they ran background checks on all of Gehring's drinking buddies, which include Corper, but they never met Corper. They're just mm-hmm. after the painting, I guess. But yeah, so this wrestler guy, he's clearly a physical, you know, physically overmatches Jim and takes him down twice, basically. The first time in their first meeting is in this, like, hospital where there's a, this is a really good Jim moment. Mm-hmm. This episode does a good job of Jim being confused without making Jim dumb. Yeah. Um, yeah. We get all the good Jim stuff. Like, so in this first encounter with the Germans, uh, they put him in a wheelchair. They're like, sit down, and, you know, and the, the, the wrestler gets him in a headlock and then like, you know, squeezes on him to get him to tell the truth or whatever. We have a shot at the very beginning where we see the little control rod under his hand, like a close up, like a oh yeah, Hitchcockian yeah, yeah. bomb under the table kind yeah. of shot. And it's like, oh, Jim's going to use that to get out of this. And then, sure enough, he he gets out by suddenly kicking the 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 older guy in the shin, and then scooting the um, chair forward to take the wrestler by surprise, so he can get out and and runs away. Um, so I appreciated that. Uh, 
Yeah, and then the third time, Jim gets the drop on him, gets the wrestler in a headlock, but the wrestler is a wrestler and yes. <laughs> pulls his arm, you know, reverses the hold and starts getting him in like a wrist lock. And finally, Dennis comes over and and they arrest him, and and Jim's like all messed up. <laughs> and it's like, and that's when he had the advantage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, they're very yeah, very Bond villainish. So. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so here we are. This is the trap we've laid for ourselves. Normally, we go through this chronologically, and there we have an ending. Uh, it's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But we're doing this uh, just kind of catch as catch can. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of dissecting places as they occur to us. Uh, where do we go with this? Right. I guess, <laughs> yeah. So I think we can, you know, kind of get into some wrapping up stuff. But was there any other things you wanted to to touch on i think i'm just looking through my notes i think we kind of hit all the plot points such as they are um there's a fun little chase scene where jim reverses the chase on the french guys yes which again is a little bondish Mm -hmm. um he just they're on like a like a dirt road on a hill and jim notices he's being followed kicks up a bunch of dust drives up onto like a little rise so that he can then drop down behind them because they don't notice he's gone in the dust. And then he follows them and then they like pop a tire or something. And that's how Jim finds out who's following him. But then once he discovers they are security, uh, he gets very (laughs) polite because they are national, (laughs) national agents. Classic Jim. Classic Jim. uh, uh, So, okay. I guess that's roughly where I want to kind of go with a little bit of a wrap up here because so much of this of what we've talked about is just kind of how weird this episode is with respect to, to the with respect to the you know the Rockford Files in general. But it's so classic Rockford Files as well. Yeah, right? yeah. I guess I guess yeah. I think that's part of like respecting Jim's agency, even while the situation is one that he is uniquely unsuited to parse. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and he doesn't have all the information. That's yeah. That, that's yeah. kind of the thing. Is at the end. You know, it's a it's a parody of itself a bit mm-hmm. where because there are many Rockford episodes where like we know who the villains are and we know what they did, but we don't know why they did it. And right. then the last scene is like the confession. Uh, yeah, the confession or the like turns out this guy lost a bunch of money. And so he came after the guy that he owed the money to, like whatever mm-hmm. the motivation is that is often revealed to us at the very end after they're arrested. Right. Um. And that's not an uncommon trope for TV. Yeah, yeah. So, like, this is kind of a mega send-up of that, where, like, oh, here's all the things that actually happened, and they are directly contradicting all the conclusions that you came to and puncturing your satisfaction with yourself about finally figuring out the deal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in that way, it's a bit of a self-referential, self-conscious piece yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like we should have a good, just like a good, powerful theory to land on here, or some sort of. Uh... Yeah, I don't know if there's really a strong because it's not. <sighs> I, I guess my thing is uh, when I first saw this episode, uh, I don't really remember my feelings when I first saw this episode, but when I saw it again this time, uh, by the time I got done with it, I I. Ha- I watched it the same way I watch all of them when we do it for the podcast here, where I try to figure things out as it goes along and I write them down in my notes and, you know, uh, all of that. 
And that is not the right way to experience this episode. <laughs> don't don't do a podcast about this episode is what I'm saying. Um, but I do think that there I, I do think it's a, a fun episode. I think there are ways to experience and enjoy this episode. Um, and the more I look at the episode, the more I in contrast to, say, um, perhaps uh, the bloody sky or the wings of deceit or uh, hell on Wilshire Boulevard. This probably is a very deliberate and well done episode. Mm-hmm. So it makes me spend more time thinking about what was actually being said. I think there's a, there's probably some context that would be even more on like if we were of the generation of the people making this episode, I feel like yeah. it might hit in a certain way that we're trying to kind of tease out like, yeah. how was this supposed to hit <laughs> is something I was kind of thinking about. So I mentioned way back at the beginning about some casting choices. Um, uh, Buddy Richards. Oh yeah. Is uh, played by Paul Stewart. Um, and Paul Stewart is like an old school Hollywood guy. He was in Citizen Kane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a section in um, 30 Years of the Rockford Files quoting, as it says here, writer and Rockford fan Frankie Montefort. Paul Stewart was in Citizen Kane. He was part of the old Orson Welles Mercury Theater of Players. Plus, he appeared in many classic noir films of the era. Paul Stewart also played Kirk Douglas's best friend in The Bad and the Beautiful, uh, 1952, which many consider to be one of the finest movies ever made about movies and filmmaking. Hmm. So to watch Paul Stewart 25 years later playing the friend of this crazy director in Irving the Explainer, you know there's a connection there. You also have a reference to Benedict Canyon Drive, which is the scene of another famous unsolved Hollywood mystery, uh, the death of (laughs) actor George Reeves. So, yeah, there's this very intentional, I guess we've been saying this the whole time, but yeah, there's this like very intentional wrapping up of like Hollywood, noir, the movies. Yeah. Let's turn it on its head a little bit because Jim Rockford is a noir detective turned on its head, right? Like that character as originally conceived and as we see, um, kind of living a little out of time, right? Like in the 70s. So this is in a way is like, what if Jim Rockford had this noir era mystery come to life that he now Mm -hmm. needs to try and figure out, but he's actually not the right guy for the job. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, you get this kind of wacky cockeyed premise. This is all to say that, I mean, you can, obviously you can watch this and not like it. You do, you do you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're certainly not invested in making sure everyone likes every single episode of Rock Files. <laughs> right. But I think there there is a deliberateness to this that if you kind of be like, okay, this is all on purpose. Why? Yes, exactly. That might be more fun to watch if you're kind of asking yourself, so like, why are they doing this? What is this about? Why is this scene the way it is? Um, I think that leads you to like all these questions of or all these moments of appreciation, of comedic uh i don't know comedic appreciation send upness i don't know how to say that <laughs> yes i would not expect this approach to bring it all together for you right uh but then again part of what's going on at the end of this episode is that it's making fun of that expectation <laughs> yes yes exactly it's not ironic which i think is why it works for me like, it's not taking a step back and being like, look at all this weird stuff we do in service of the premise of our own show. Like, it's not that. Yeah, um, yeah. But it is recognizing that the Rockford Files itself is in a tradition of a certain kind of media and then celebrating that media while also not 
giving itself the task of telling one of those stories because it's yeah. not a noir story. No, like <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's a conclusion that I'm coming to as a consequence of this conversation is like maybe the achievement of the writing of this or the achievement of this episode i think it's a group dynamic i think everyone involved yeah yeah (laughs) you know should take equal credit on this including the direction including the writing uh the acting obviously but yeah is that it's kind of a we can have we can have fun with all the stuff that we play with in the show in other ways in a self-puncturing way that doesn't reduce the uh what's the word i'm looking for investment that we have in this character and in this world you know like it doesn't expose the constructedness of jim's world or something like that um it it gives me the sense that's like yeah we know what we're doing and we're gonna Mm -hmm. do something weird (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah i i would agree with that assessment The uh, this has, so this episode has many IMDb reviews and they are very polarized. And I think that's kind of uh, something that we kind of talked about, I think, before the show. But like, mm-hmm. not that we go by IMDb ratings necess- like for anything, really. But it is kind of interesting to see, especially when it's a weird episode. What do other people think? And this one, I think the average rating is like 7.9 or something, mm-hmm. which is pretty median for most Rockford Files episodes. Most of them are like eight like between seven eight and like eight four or something like that uh but the individual reviews themselves are like 10 out of 10 two out of 10 eight out of yeah, 10 yeah. four out of 10 <laughs> like <laughs> like there is a there is a strong divide yeah so i guess which is to say you know you can't expect everyone to be on board with your weird stuff necessarily and right. if you're not on board this is one that's just like what did i just watch it's confusing. It doesn't come to a satisfying conclusion. There's a bit of a emotional journey for Karen. <laughs> yes. But like not so much that we're really invested in it, I think. Um, so I, I easily understand bouncing off of this episode, but I really like it. <laughs> yeah, I was just scrolling through the um, the reviews, not reading the reviews themselves, but the titles. Mm hmm. So I, I just want to read some of these titles because I think these are spot on. Um, the first one that comes up is just Nazi episode, which is uh, fair. But that does rem- remind me of another Polish wedding, which has one of the best Nazi scenes in the Rockford Files. Right. The the, the punching of said, of said Nazis. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but OK. One of them says, so what was Rockford investigating? That's a 9 out of 10. Uh, There's another one, um, Brilliant Pastiche. All right. That's a 9 out of 10 one. Uh, This is the one that I saw that made me want to say this. Great episode. Explains nothing. (laughs) No no rating on that one. Um, That was followed by one that says, inexplicable. Uh, And then, how did they fit it all into 49 minutes? (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, truly, in terms of like, triumphs of television creation yeah there's a lot there's so much there's stuff we didn't even touch on and it's kind of like it's fine we watch the episode um yeah and it rolls along it feels fast (laughs) (laughs) it feels like things are always happening even though it's all talking and there's like three full movies worth of plot that could be gleaned out of this in like yeah 49 minutes it's quite a it's quite an achievement even if you're even if as one of these reviewers says uh disappointing at first and horrible in retrospect yeah (laughs) (laughs) i would disagree with that um 
but I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with it. Like we said before, uh, you get to enjoy them how you want to enjoy them. Or you find it as another two out of ten says inexplicable. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's I mean, even though we just spent, you know, an hour and a half plus trying to explain. (laughs) (laughs) I think it remains remains a little inexplicable. As as Irving the Explainer perishes in our arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely wouldn't recommend this as a first viewing if someone's never seen the show before. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable saying that. But if you're, you know, knee deep into season four, uh, sure, give it a shot. Yeah, I'm just looking at the surrounding episodes. Um, so the episode before this is Quickie Nirvana, which yeah, is one of the all time greats. So you're watching, it's it's fall of 1977, you're sitting down every week to watch your Rockford Files, you you watch uh, Quickie Nirvana, then next week you get Irving the Explainer. <laughs> so that one kind of ends on a bummer, this one ends mm-hmm. on a just a big question mark. Um, and then you go right into the Mayor's Committee from Deerlick Falls, which is a rollicking romp of, uh, of, of Jim, you know, getting the comeuppance on... Uh, all of yeah. the weird villains. So, you know, I feel like that's a, that's a fun little three. Nice little sandwich. Three episodes set. Yeah. yeah. So I have, I have one final thing uh, to, to say about the uh, answering machine message, which I forgot oh. earlier, but I did want to, to talk about. So, but that's a bit of a coda. That's, it's not really related to the episode. Do you have anything else about Irving the explainer before I uh, go no. off onto this tangent? We can go off on this tangent. I, I'm trying to remember what the answering machine message was. Actually, it's a question for you. Do you re- so I ask you because the one on my episode that I watched mm-hmm. um, and the one that's in the 30 years book, because it trans it has all the answering machine messages in each oh, yeah, episode yeah. entry are different. Wow. It's a mystery. So the one that I watched, which you heard way back at the beginning of our episode is about the goats is about a woman yes. calling about the, the goats She's calling about a goat for and sale. She can't afford it. But she has cheese. Maybe we can get together on this or something like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I wonder if it's just an error in the book. So I went back. I listened to the answering machine messages. And I figured out that the order they are in this book has been switched around a little bit from how they are on my episodes. Oh. So I wonder if that's an error in the book or if they got changed at some point for some reason. But the Quickie Nirvana one is this. This is a set of punchline two episode episodes. two episode answering machine message joke oh the previous one which i believe should be the queen nirvana one hey i saw your ad in a classified three african goats for sale i keep calling all i get a machine is that a typo in the paper or what hey am i too late for those african goats haven't got the whole 300 cash but like i got a lot of homemade cheese maybe we could work something out oh that's great it's answering machine continuity mm-hmm mm-hmm so I appreciated that. All right. Um, <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> Irving the Explainer. Explained. Explained. Uh, hope you enjoy that. If you watch the episode, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you didn't, I get it. Uh, but I think it was definitely fun to revisit and remember. I think my my remembered takeaway from the first time I watched it was, you know, huh. <laughs> What a weird episode, but I really appreciated because I had been watching, you know, them in order, like on Netflix Mm -hmm. or whatever they were at the time. This was, you know, five years ago now, (laughs) five or six years ago. Um, I've been watching them in order, maybe one or two episodes every couple days. And I remember being like, huh, what a way to 
I was impressed by what a departure it was from a, quote, standard Rockford Files episode. Right. But how it still managed to be a Rockford Files episode. Yeah. I think that was my, and I appreciated that. So I had like, I was like, it was weird. It was doing something strange. It was not satisfying, but it was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, it was very Rockford Files nonetheless. Yeah. And so that's that's what I think I want to try and leave leave on a note on that yeah. on that note. I would leave on that note as well. Well, if we're leaving on uh leaving on a stack of notes of some kind, Jim got no notes, no reward <laughs> for this uh, particular true. episode. So hopefully his check to uh, Daphne didn't bounce. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh we will leave it there. Thanks for hanging with us through this unique episode. <laughs> And we will be back next time with perhaps a slightly more regular episode. Conventional episode. <laughs> Conventional episode of The Rockford Files. <laughs> <laughs>